Welcome to River's Edge Church Podcast. Each week we strive to bring you biblically accurate, exegetical preaching of God's Word so that you might belong, believe, and become like Christ. We hope that you will find this week's message beneficial in your walk with Christ. So as we get ready to look into today's passage, I just want to kind of update you where we are if you haven't been with us. So just a brief Bible in a minute kind of thing. So one of the things that Exodus does is it's looking at the broadest picture of redemption. It's, it's a story about redemption. It's, that's the note and the theme from page one to the last page. Uh, and in, through this redemption story, we see God moving in some very strange ways. Last week was one of those where it was front and center. You saw the birth and infancy of Moses, and with that you saw God's plan. And God's plan, as we looked at last week, is three very distinctives. One, it demands faith and reliance on him. It's not a, it's not a request it's not a good idea. It is a demand. It is an absolute reliance on who and what God is. The second part of that is, is that God's plan does not have to make sense to us. We looked at some of the absolute crazy parts of that story. How a mother, an Israelite mother was supposed to take her child and put her in the place where they were supposed to be killing these children setting her there. We looked at the reality of him, Moses, being born to a slave was now going to be adopted by a royalty, by the Pharaoh's own daughter. And then we looked at the, the, what seems audacious, that, that God's already blessed enough, but then he decides to be abundantly blessed with uh, his blessing. And now Moses' mother gets to not only provide for him, she gets to care and raise him and get paid for it. Outlandish. This doesn't make sense to us. It doesn't have to. God's plan never does. That's why it's so wonderful. Lastly, God's plan brings glory to God and not us. We're going to be looking at that in a very intense way today. How God's plan is in place to bring glory to him. And what happens a lot of times when things go awry is when we are trying to navigate waters where our glory is in play. Where, where God's, where in the sense of what the Bible says, we try to make a great name for ourselves instead of a great name for a great God. So <clears throat> we're going to be looking at some stuff today. We're going to be specifically looking at chapter 2, verses 11 through 25. Now, Mark's going to come down. He's going to read us our passage. Um, and so as he comes down, <clears throat> what I want to prepare you for is Moses now has passed infancy. And so we, we get this gap of time. And so we're skipping ahead a little bit to Moses is now a grown man. And that's what we'll pick up today. Years later, after Moses had grown up, he went out to his own people and observed their forced labor. He saw an Egyptian striking a Hebrew, one of his people. Looking all around and seeing no one, he struck the Egyptian dead and hid him in the sand. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you attacking your neighbor? Who made you commander and judge over us? The man replied. Are you planning to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses became afraid and thought, what I did is certainly known. When Pharaoh heard about this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian and sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. 
They came to draw water and filled the, the troughs to water their, fa- their father's flock. Then some shepherds arrived and drove them away. But Moses came to the rescue and watered their flock. When they returned to their father, Ruel, he asked, Why have you come back so quickly today? They answered, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. So where is he? He asked his daughters. Why then did you leave the man behind? Invite him to eat dinner. Moses agreed to stay with the man, and he gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. She gave birth to a son whom he named Gershom, for he said, I have been a resident alien in a foreign land. After a long time, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned because of their difficult labor. They cried out, and their cry for help became their cry of help because of the difficulty, uh, difficult labor ascended to God. God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the Israelites, and God knew. The word of God. So if I had to label this, I don't always name sermons, but if I, I, sometimes I'm like, that would be a great name. And today, it's a great name. And the day's name of the sermon would be By My Own Hand. Okay? Um, that would be today's. Um, what we see here, <clears throat> that the Bible says that Moses lived in the house of the Pharaoh for 40 years up to this point. Matter of fact, I'm going to show you where it says. This is in Acts. It says Acts 7, 25. When he was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. Okay? And it's referring to this moment where he goes out and um, he ends up killing an Egyptian. And a couple of quick notes that, you know, that it's good to know, that 40 years is not always exact. Like, we see that number a lot. We see 40 a lot. It's a very symbolic number. And typically, it, it means a, you know, a long time. Uh, we use it a lot in generational terms of a generation of people. You'll see it again and again in Exodus. Um, Moses and the Israelites do a lot of 40-year things. And so it's a recurring number, a recurring theme that you'll see. So I, I encourage people, don't get hung up. It's like someone calling someone a Gen X, a Gen Z, or a millennial. Like, that's how they looked at it. It's like, oh, this is a 40-year period, a generation. One of the arguments, though, about the Bible that I love that helps with its validity is its um, authentic portrayal of its subjects. Uh, and I don't think you would get a better person to look at than Moses because on one hand you see Moses being described as Tove and we talked about the importance of that word last week that that Tove was the word that God used when he looked at the world and its full creation he goes man that's good that's Tove and that's how they described Moses as a baby so we know early on Moses is certainly set aside by God he is a very good thing and and then we see the dark side of Moses and it's, we see here just this you know, failure that Moses had. And it's not the first one that we'll see. Um, we talked a little bit about last week about how Moses lived uh, a life that was very exposed. He, 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 there was, Moses had, we have more information on Moses than almost any other Bible figure outside of Jesus. And for good reason. He was, in some ways, a model for many religions, especially the Islamic religion and the Jewish tradition. He was important. And we see in this particular passage one of Moses' greatest flaws is impatience. Now, 
who here has been impatient before, right? How many of us struggle with impatience, right? Um, I've been, I've made this dumb mistake of praying for patience. Shouldn't do that. That's a mistake. Um, as, <laughs> as the quote goes, like, God will give you plenty of opportunities for you to learn that. And I'm like, I, I made a mistake here. Um, a lot of us, just, we just want things now. We live in a culture where things happen immediately, right? Like, if I need news, I got news, right? Um, if, if I want entertainment, I can get my hands on some entertainment. If I need to know something, I think the coolest thing that I can do is I have an app on my computer where I can go and I can go, I need to know what this says in Hebrew and look it up. And then I need to know what it says in Greek and I can look it up. And it's fantastic and it's immediate, right? But what do I do when I don't have that resource, right? What do we do when our needs and our wants don't get met immediately? Um, but I would suggest that a life submitted to the Lord is one that waits on the Lord. I want to show you, and I could have shown you literally hundreds of passages, but I'm just going to point to one I think that's really good. It's in Psalm, it's 135, so that's 130, verse 5. <clears throat> and it says, I wait for the Lord, I wait, and I put my hope in his word. I wait for the Lord, I wait, and I put my hope in him. Waiting's hard. Being patient is hard. Waiting on the Lord might be the most difficult thing any of us will do. It requires an extraordinary faith. It requires a trust. It requires us to truly lay ourselves down. Because of Moses' desire, his calling, his position, he becomes impatient. And he does something rather regrettable. I want to point you to verses 11 and 12, where it says, Years later, after Moses had grown up, he went out amongst his own people, and he observed their forced labor, and he saw an Egyptian striking a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking all around and seeing no one, he struck the Egyptian dead and hit him in the sand. Moses had the same end goal as God did. He wanted salvation for the Israelites. He wanted justice for those who were being oppressed. He wanted the same thing. And he was overcome by compassion to the point where he killed somebody. And, and it's, I tell my children all the time, when, the, when we talk about things like sin, you know, sin's such a, it's such a large and yet such a subtle topic, right? Like it's, it's easy to point to some things and go, that's definitely a sin. But then there's so many other things, right? And one of the things, though, that uh, we try to teach them is that too much of anything can be a bad thing right? Like, I like cake. Too much cake is a bad thing, right? Like, we've all probably been in a place where we've had just a little too much cake. Moses being overcome with compassion and his desire to see justice done is not a bad thing in and of itself, but too much to be overwhelmed, to be overcome by this, leads him, instead of interceding to the Lord, intervening with the Lord. I don't know, that sounds fancier and I put it down, I was like, definitely going to have to take a minute and, and break that down. Instead of going to the Lord and going, God, how do you want to do this? He says, I'm going to do this in God's name without ever talking to him. Now, a lot of us, um, I am sure, especially in our younger faith, probably fall victim to this. I am the number one chief sinner in this way. I can't tell you how many times I'm like, that needs to be done. I'm going to do something about it. And never stop to think, maybe I should like take a minute, maybe pray. Maybe find out this is, a, this, this is my thing or if God's got a different person for that task or maybe a different timing for that task. I just bull in there. And a lot of times what we find, and, and this happens constantly, it's one of the things they teach us 
that I learned in the mission field is, man, we can do so much damage out of a desire to do good. That we can bring so much turmoil and so much pain and so, and so much wrong into the world with a desire to do good things with the, in the Lord's name. Because we don't spend a moment to go, hey, God, is this, is this what you want? Are you in this? Moses' greatest sin here is not the murder. It seems like we could pretty much point and go, definitely murder is a sin. We know that. But it's not his greatest sin. His greatest sin is pride. <clears throat> pride is in the fact that Moses was attempting to exalt himself and not the Lord. And I'll, I'll point out why. Because if you look at verse 13, you see he does something unusual. Because up to this point, we have no information about Moses. And all of a sudden... It says that the next day, Moses went out, and he saw two Hebrews fighting, and he asked the one that was in the wrong, why are you attacking your neighbor? And the neighbor said, who made you a commander to judge over us? The man replied, are you planning to kill me as you killed that Egyptian? And Moses became afraid. The Bible often tells us what people are thinking by the conversations they're having with another person. Moses wanted the Israelites to be free. But Moses inadvertently was going to do it by his own hand. He thought that, man, I'm in a position of power. These are my people. I see a wrong. I have, there's actually a lot of argument that Moses probably had every right he wanted to kill that Egyptian. But it didn't make it right. And we know it didn't make it right. We know Moses knew it was wrong. Look at how he's acting. Look both ways. He buried him in the sand. Any of us who've been around children long enough know when someone, a child's up to something, Right? Their behavior is always a tell. They're like looking around, being all weird. My kids will become exceptionally polite, like over-the-top polite. And I'm like, oh, you definitely did something. I'm going to find out what it is here in a minute. <clears throat> Moses' plan was to bring about salvation for the Israelites. But my question for you is this. If Moses' plan worked, who gets exalted? Who gets all the glory? Would it be God? Would God get the glory from a man killing another man? Being lifted up high? Now he's the ruler and judge of the Israelite people and they all escape somehow? For those of you who don't know the story, God's going to spend the next like 20 chapters exalting himself, showing how great and powerful and wonderful he is. One of the things that we'll see later, and I, I just I had to point it out because I think we miss it. I've missed it. I, I grew up in church and missed the simple, tiniest of points. The last plague is often considered one of the worst ones. And it's the plague where the firstborn son dies. But if you read the passage, God gave everybody an opportunity, not just the Jews, not just the Israelites who were being oppressed. He said any person who does what I tell them to do will be saved. Any person who does what I ask them to do, their house will be passed over. Their firstborns will be, uh, will be reserved. Anyone. And God's exalting of himself, he's not just showing off how powerful he is, he was showing off how good he was. Moses' plan never brought any of that into effect. Moses thought he had a great plan. God's plan is always about bringing about proper worship. That's something that we, you, I, if, you, if you get something from today, 
Keep that. That's a good one. God's plan is about bringing about proper worship. How many of us struggle with this same idea that we want something from God now, right? Like we, we've got real things that we think are happening in our life. And, and let's be honest, we talked about this last week. We all got stuff going on. I've got needs and wants. I've got desires. I've got impulses. And God knows the difference between them. And I would prefer if God would move today. That's my personal preference. I, I would love God to move right now and make those things better. But God's silence and his waiting is in part so that God would be glorified in it. Both in us and in the circumstance that we happen to be in. So instead of becoming a revolutionary, Moses finds himself becoming a fugitive. And in his desperation, he ends up fleeing into the wilderness of Midian. This is the northeastern part as you go up into the peninsula above Egypt. He runs basically into a wasteland. And so now Moses has gone from being the son of a Pharaoh's daughter to being an outlaw, uh, to be surrounded by unimaginable wealth, to being completely broke, to being in a position of power, being, uh, you know, extremely powerful to a position of powerfulness. And yet God was still at work. And in this way, we see that he leads Moses to a well and provides, once again, another opportunity to be used by him. Let me point you to verse 16 and 17. It says, Now that the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and filled the troughs with water of their, for their father's flock. And some shepherds arrived and drove them away, but Moses came to their rescue and watered their flocks. Don't miss the little things here. Uh, Moses is a story of grand events happening, right? Um, I mean, just the story we read last week about him being a baby and, and a little tiny boat being floated down the river. That's fantastic, right? And then we're going to have these ten amazing plagues that are going to happen upon the land, and then we think about the big the Red Sea thing going on and Moses striking rocks, like, most of the story is littered with cool stories. I never hear this one. I never hear about this. I, I forget about the well all the time. But the well is awesome. You know why the well is awesome? Because there is no lower point in Moses' life. Can you imagine, at any other point, could it have been worse? He has nothing. He spent, he's a 40-year-old man wandering the wilderness, been run out from his own country. He grew up as a pharaoh's son. Who knows what tangible skills he actually has? He's been cast off by his own people and cast off by the Egyptians. He now belongs to nobody. He's in a wilderness, and yet God says, you know, I'm still going to use you. I mean, we should find hope in that. That in the worst of our moments, in the, in the biggest mess that we, because Moses made this mess. Let's go ahead and be honest. This is a man-made mess. And we've all been in some messes. But in the worst of the mess, the thing, like in the worst of my moments, God can still find a way to use me. Should be just encouraging. I mean, we should find some hope in that. We don't hear about this rescue. But it's important, I think, and, and there's a couple things I, I like to pick up from this. One, um, Moses is a rescuer, but not by any means necessary anymore. 
When he saw before the, the wrong being done, he murders a man. He responds out of this anger. He responds instantly, right? Like he was quick to anger, as the Bible tells us not to be. He's overcome with rage, and he kills this man. Instead, here, we don't, he doesn't do that. It says he rescues them. He runs them off. The Hebrew is a little clearer. It says he runs them away. But then not only does he provide intercession, but he does another thing. He serves them. See, before, he kills them, and he wants a response. He thinks that now I have positioned myself into a, you know, a place of authority so I can go confront these other Israelites. Instead, here, he does such a simple thing. He draws well for these ladies. He draws the water from the well, and he waters their flock for them. Even in a short amount of time, Moses has learned one very important fact. He learned to be humble. He learned to be humble. His pride, his prideful spirit had certainly been, if not broken completely, had been severely injured. Learn, Moses was in the process now of learning what it means to be faithful to God. In the midst of our messes, in the midst of our most difficult and saddest moments, there is going to be opportunities to learn how faithful God really is. And more importantly, to learn how to rely on that faithfulness. So for the next 40 years, I'm going to reverse, we're going to say that again. The next 40 years, Moses is a shepherd. That's a long time to be in a wilderness. Like, for those who are familiar with the Gospels, Jesus spent 40 days in a wilderness, and like that seems like a long time. Paul spent about, give or take, 15 years there's some sway there. That feels like a long time. Moses got 40 years in a wilderness as a shepherd. This is not like after the Exodus. This is pre-Exodus. Moses spent 40 years in Egypt. Now he spent 40 years as a shepherd. And a man of so much promise, we start this story out and we're like, man, Moses has got it. He's going to do something great. Like if I'm reading this for the first time, I'm thinking Moses is about to be the king of Egypt. Like that's how these stories go, right? Like Moses is born to a slave and then he gets, like Disney would have already edited this into a, definitely a Pharaoh Moses moment, right? Like they, there's no shepherd happening. But in God's plan, Moses becomes a shepherd. And now he's quiet and happy. We know nothing of what happens except for a few things. One, he gets married, and he has a child. And he has a safe job. He, he, you know, it's a consistent work, right? And I, I feel like, as I read this story, I think it's easy for us to look at Moses and go, man, I know what Moses is going to become, and think, like, he must have been thinking about that the whole time. I think of it from the same point of man. I bet Moses thought he was going to die a shepherd. Like, I am almost certain that Moses was like, all right, I'm done. Like, I'm like 80, like I'm wrapping this life up, you know, I've got a kid, the kid's grown, I'm going to leave him a little bit to go on with. I've done good, you know, I've done really good, I've kept my nose clean and quiet. And then once again, God has a different plan. But those 40 years were so vital to Moses' upbringing. They were, they, were, they were so important because God is preparing not just Moses, a lot of times our waiting and, our, and, our, and us sitting in what feels like this pause place, right? This, this waiting room for our life isn't about just us. And sometimes it's not about us. 
outside of us just staying consistently you know, faithful. It's about some other things. In this case, it's specifically about Moses, the Israelites, and the Pharaoh. First, it's Moses and his calling, right? We see early on God had a plan for Moses. He, he preserved him. He brought them into the house of the Pharaoh so that he's consistent, like he has some understanding of how that, that, that part of the society works. And it seems like as if all that's gone. But if we would come to this moment and really look and observe Moses' life, he now has in a very extraordinary background that probably no one else has. He's been royalty and he's been an outcast. He can speak to a king just as easily as he can speak to a slave. Moses is being prepared. Moses is being molded into what God actually wanted him to be. Second, we see Israel. We see Israel's cries being heard, even though God has yet to move. Think about what was Israel's response before? I don't know if they were crying out before. It, the Bible doesn't really say they were crying out a ton. In fact, if we read the beginning of Exodus, it says that it didn't matter what Pharaoh was doing. They just kept multiplying. They kept being blessed. They kept growing. And there was really no sense of them. They were being oppressed, but they didn't really respond to the oppression. Even Moses' confrontation, the guy was like, what, are you going to rule over us? Are you going to kill me like that Egyptian? The Israelites weren't ready. They had not had enough. How many of us are stubborn? I am. I am horribly stubborn. Um, the only person I know that's maybe more stubborn than me is one of my children. <laughs> and my wife's probably pretty stubborn, too. She won't admit it, but she's pretty stubborn. She stuck with me this long. Girl's got a perseverance in her. She does. But Israelite was stubborn. They were stubborn. They were hard-headed. But they get to a place where they're so broken, they begin to cry out for the Lord. They begin to cry out for him. For a God that most of them don't even know or remember. For a God that they don't even remember his name. We'll know this because we'll find out later. He has to remind them of who he is. And lastly is Egypt. Egypt's still prospering. Egypt's still doing great. In fact, what we see at the end of this passage is that Pharaoh actually has to die. And now Moses does become something different. Instead of being a fugitive, he's just a foreigner. He's no longer wanted. He's just unknown. Just because God hasn't moved yet doesn't mean he isn't moving. And just because he hasn't removed you from the wilderness doesn't mean he isn't going to use you. Some of us have 40 years of shepherding to do. It's just the reality. Let me tell you a quick story. I will trim it as needed. When we started church planning, at the very beginning of it, I knew it was going to be hard. I knew it was going to be difficult. I would talked to enough guys. I would seen the reality. I knew that what we were stepping into was hard. But there was plans in place. And like any, you know, hard-headed, red-blooded American, I guess, like, I was like, let's put on our work boots and get to work in this plan. Three months later, everything shuts down. I mean, the world itself shuts down in a way none of us have ever experienced before. 
obviously for church planting, that was like the most detrimental thing that had ever happened. Like no one knew what to do. It was chaos abroad. Um, and, and in some good ways, as horrifying as this was, for me, it was like, all right, I can take a step back here and really start planning this thing out better. I don't know what I'm doing, but neither does anybody else, so this is great. And so I, we just began really throwing ourselves into some action, trying to figure out how do we engage with people. And coming up with crazy stuff, some of it worked, some of it didn't. About a year in, we're in May of 2021. We were trying to find a solution for something, so we decided we're going to launch a summer series to lead up to a full launch that fall. So we have these five summer series, and we invite lots of people. We're meeting on a Saturday evening at a church, or sending church, and we're not really going anywhere. And, I mean, we've got real, people working really hard, and it's just, it's just not coming together. And I remember in August, and I, and I just sitting in my own despair, if you will, just having one of those hard moments and going, like, what is going on here? And, and almost yelling at God. Like, I, was, I felt like I was like, God, what are you doing? Like, I'm doing your work. Like, I'm trying to expand your kingdom. Why is this happening? Why aren't you, like, opening a door or something? And I, I was just mad. And I, and, I was, and I knew what we needed to do, and I didn't want to do it. I knew that we needed to take a step back, and I didn't want to do it. And I had a really good friend of mine who, who uh, called me out of the blue, asked how things were going, and I was telling him how things were going, and I told him that I think I needed to step back and, and just try to start over with a small group. And he goes, man, that's awesome. And I was like, what are you talking about? That's awesome. This, this feels like I'm losing. He goes, no, man, like you get more time to pray. I said, like, what? He's like, yeah, you get more time to pray. He's like, if I could go back and do anything different, when I planted the church, I would have prayed more. And I was just like, but prayer doesn't feel like work. <laughs> like, it doesn't. It doesn't feel like work. Work feels like work. Walking the streets, talking to people, serving, that all feels like work. Prayer doesn't feel like work. But it is. In reality, prayer is the most important work. Our conversation with God about his will is like the board meeting before you do stuff right? It's the game plan. It's like, like for me, I think of it this way. It's like me giving all of my guys like, hey, here's the first 20 call sheets. You know, this is what I'm going to call when I was coaching. This is how we're going to do it. And this is what we're thinking. But I was, I was so hurt in that moment. I thought, man, God may never use me. And this may all go up in smoke. I didn't know what God was doing and I didn't agree with his plan. But then I also didn't see that we would be here a year later. I also didn't see that we would have to expand into a nursery in the first six months. I didn't see that we would have opportunities to serve 70 kids at a sports camp. Like I, I didn't see these things. God did. The end of this passage, which I, I have to close with, is so important not to miss. Because it brings about some clarity about Moses' wilderness. I'm going to read it to you, just 23 through 25. It says, After a long time the king of Egypt died, the Israelites groaned because of their difficult labor, and they cried out, and their cry for help became, because of the difficult labor, ascended to God. 
And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. And God saw the Israelites and God knew. The wilderness that we walk through always leads to a calling. It always leads to a calling. All of us are called to something. Now, the, the normal biblical answer to that is we're all called to make disciples. We're all called to teach the commands. Right? Like, we know those things. Called to love one another, love God. But we, we hear those things. But I'll, I want you to understand that, one, God sees he sees the injustice in our world. Like he hasn't turned a blind eye to this. We live in a world that's so broken. I mean, there's sex trafficking. There's, there's children who are being abducted. There's, there's families who are dying every day from just not having access to water. God sees that. He knows that that exists. He hears their cries. And his plan to address that is us. That's what his plan is. It's us. It's his people. Just like God's plan to address the Israelites was Moses. The problem was Moses wanted to do it 40 years ago, and it wasn't ready. The Israelites weren't ready. Moses wasn't ready. Pharaoh wasn't ready. Egypt wasn't ready. But no matter what, no matter what we've walked through, no matter what we're going through, the ending is a calling. The ending is a calling to go and be on mission everywhere we go. I grew up with this silly notion that missionary and mission work happened over there. It happened in Africa and India and China, South America. Never. It doesn't happen here. It doesn't happen here. That's silly. Not when I have like 15 versions of the Bible on my phone, right? Except for the fact that when we had kids here, 55 of them didn't have churches that they go to regularly. 55% of those kids didn't. More importantly, I probably heard 10 or 12 of those kids ask who Jesus was. That's just here on one event, one thing we did. The most astounding thing to me that has ever happened here, we did a backyard Bible study. This was part of that summer outreach where we didn't know what to do, so we did something. And the first day we were there, we were like, we're going to teach... Genesis, start from the beginning, just how God created the world. And as I'm teaching it, we had like five, I think we had five neighborhood kids. There was a brother and a sister who lived down the road from me who had never heard that story. Never. They had never read a Bible. And it began to click. Man, I'm on mission right here. I'm on mission right here. It's easy to me point to little kids because there are so many that are growing up, but Guys, you're on mission. Yes, you might be going through some stuff. You're on mission. Yes, it might feel like God is not listening to you. You're still on mission. God's calling you to something. Maybe that great thing is off in the distance, but he's still calling you to a well to serve somebody, to rescue somebody right now. You're on mission. God's redemptive plan is his people who've been redeemed. So when we leave here today, you're on mission. Know that. You are on mission. We're going to spend the next week or so talking about God's name. And I hope that you will be encouraged 
by this message that you go on mission to do the same thing that God's going to commission Moses to do, which is to go remind people how great God is, who God is, because there are so many who surround us who have no idea. None. So I'm going to have the worship team come up. We're going to play us out. We're going to sing a song to rejoice. But I encourage you as you leave here today, be missional in your efforts. Let's bow our heads. Thank you for listening to the River's Edge Church Podcast. We want to encourage you to like and follow so that we might reach others with God's good news. You can hear more messages like this at www.theriversedge.church. Have a blessed weekend.